Bible. Let's take our Bibles and stand, please. Take your Bibles and stand, please. I'm going to ask our members to look around you. If you see somebody you don't know that's new to the church, I want you to share your Bible with them. And if they don't have a King James Version translation, I want you to share your version with them, your Bible with them, so they find their place. And we're going to look at a very encouraging topic this morning that I pray will help us in our series here, Nothing But the Truth. And we're going to be looking at the third part of uh, Let Not Your Hearts Be Troubled, the Cure for Troubled Hearts. And I want you to go down with me to verse 16, John chapter 14, verse 16. And uh, we hope that this morning that it will greatly encourage your hearts and help you to give you something for this week to come. John 14, verse 16. As you're turning there, I want to tell all the married couples here on, on Saturday, September 14th, we are having a married couples conference. And I want to encourage you, we're going to, we start sign up today. It's $80 per couple. And that's basically covering a continental breakfast as well as a catered lunch, a very delicious catered lunch we're going to have here, some materials and things. We've got a great speaker lined up for that. And uh, you'll just be greatly encouraged in your, in your marriage for that day. And so you want to find child care if you can't get kids and try to be here for that. And just fellowship with some other married couples and just kind of turn off electronic devices and let God speak to you. Amen? And uh, have a good time that the Lord will work in our hearts. So you mark that aside to be there for that. I think it will do you much good and it'll help you there. We're going to hopefully cover some topics that perhaps have not been covered before in the married couples conferences that'll help us here. John 14, verse 16. Say amen if you're there. Okay. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Go down to verse 26, please. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. I call your attention this morning to these verses on the subject, what we just sang about, the comforter is come. And we're praying this morning that God will teach us and help us to understand who the person of the Holy Spirit is and the importance of his working in your life and mine today. And I pray it'll help stabilize many of you who are perhaps new believers, just trying to get past a lot of insecurities in your life and perhaps challenges you have and realizing the importance of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, Father, today we're very thankful already for the special music that our choir has sung, the offertory by Mrs. Mack and Mrs. Fong. We thank you today, God, for the announcements even that have been made, the offering that was just taken, and God, just the things you're doing through our church. And we're thankful for this beautiful, beautiful, hot Sunday morning. And we're just praying today that while we're in the comfort of an air-conditioned room, that we just would rejoice in the Lord and rejoice evermore. And we pray today that you'll help the joy of Christ abound in our soul. I pray that you'll do a holy work in our hearts. And we pray as we, Lord, uh, preach about the third person of the Trinity and the Godhead, the Holy Spirit of God. We pray that you'll give understanding and pull it all together for some who've always wanted to know a little bit more about who the Holy Spirit is. I pray especially today because the ministry of the Spirit 
is to reprove of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I pray this morning that he would do his work of reproving our hearts and speaking especially to those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Or perhaps some, perhaps that are, perhaps maybe their relationship is not as close as they'd like it to be. And may the Holy Spirit work in our hearts today to draw us closer to you and, and speak to us about the loving relationship you want us to have with you. Father, have your way. I pray for conviction in our hearts. I pray that God, you help us to see, uh, this, recognize that your word is a mirror and we look into it we should see what we are and how you see us and we pray God through this this morning that the word of God would be a sharp two-edged sword that would pierce and divide asunder our soul and our spirit and would discern our thoughts of our hearts and intents of our hearts and we pray this morning that the word of God would be a fire and I pray this morning would sanctify us and we, the Bible says sanctify thy people through thy truth thy word is truth and we're praying this morning you set apart that which is needful for our lives encourage us build us up in the faith we pray in Jesus name you may be seated. We're in the third part of this section here, this sub-series on the cure for troubled hearts. Uh, two weeks ago, in the first week, we saw that Jesus is the cure for troubled hearts. Look at verse 1. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also me. May I say this morning, Jesus Christ is the cure for troubled hearts. You're having trouble, you need to come to Jesus. In verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And then secondly, we saw last week in, in, in our study that we saw that not only is Jesus the cure for our troubled hearts, but as believers, as we live for God, we're going to find that we have troubles, and we have turmoils, and we have ups and downs, and we have things that happen in our lives that we did not plan for, and unexpected events, and sometimes we make judgment calls, or perhaps we really, perhaps we just ask God, I wish I had a little more wisdom about those things. But notice what the Bible tells us here in verse 12 and 14. It says that we saw that we're faith Prayer and serving God was the cure for troubled hearts. We must have faith. We must believe in God. Jesus said, believe in God, believe also me. We need greater faith. My prayer this morning is that you and I would have greater faith. My prayer this morning is that God would build faith in our hearts. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And our prayer should be under our breath right now. Lord, build my faith, increase my faith in the things of God. We ought to pray for faith. We ought to pray this morning that God will increase our prayer lives so we learn the power and the importance of praying in Jesus' name. And then we need to see, Lord, that in verse 12, the importance of serving God. God has designed that the works that Jesus did, we can do also. And then he said, greater works than these shall you do. He's not saying you're going to become some miracle worker because man cannot work miracles of that kind. But God can enable us in the area of evangelism and missions and, and soul winning and reaching people with the gospel, making impact for him. Now notice we look at this third cure. And Jesus is, if you remember, he's been speaking to the disciples about the fact that he would go away. He said, he said, listen, I've got to go and prepare a place for you. I'm going back to heaven. And he says, after I die on the cross and rising from the dead, I'll spend a little more time with you. And then after that, I've got to go back to heaven. And just like you and me, when somebody we know that we've been very close to tells us they're going to leave, it hurts. I'm thinking this morning about the Della O family. The Della O family has been with our church for well over 10 years. And I still remember the very first Sunday that Carla and, and Jorge, and, their, and at that time, three of their children, they came to church. And, and and Paola, their little girl, was just a little, little toddler at that time. And uh, God just knit our hearts together at that time. And just that family being involved here in church. And Jorge became one of our, really my go-to man for just translation of Spanish language. And we just had a wonderful, loving relationship. And then just a few months ago, they, they came to me and said, Pastor, we've got to really talk. got to really talk to you. And I said, what's the matter? They said, we're moving away. And I said, you can't. And I held on to them. I said, you can't move away. you got to stay here. And, and they said, no, we, we have to. And they told me what's going on. And, and we're thankful they're in a good church, a very thriving church. There's so many churches down in Southern California. But they 
had to move for various reasons there. And when they said that leading up to that Sunday, it was hard. It was very difficult. I didn't want to see them leave. I wanted them to stay. I still occasionally text them every now and then. Say, How are you doing? I want to keep touch with you. The Quant family was here for several years and they relocated there to the Nashville area. And I stay in touch with Brother, brother, uh, brother Quant every now and then. Hey, how are you doing? How's church over there with Brother Norris? And hope you're doing well there. And I, and I hate to see people leave. I don't like to see people go. And it's just, it's a hurtful thing on that. And these disciples felt the same way. They, don't like, they didn't want to see Jesus going. They said, Jesus, we, we've been with you. We've slept out in the wilderness with you. We've slept, on, we've slept under the shades of a tree. We've gone with you preaching. We've watched you do all these things. You've calmed the storms. You can't leave us. You can't go away. So their hearts were throbbing. They needed comfort. Their hearts were troubled. And so Jesus is talking to them. And he introduced them to the fact they needed to, the, the unraveling and the, if you would, the the explanation to them of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit was given now. Because he said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will send you another comforter. Please write this down. I say this every now and then preaching, but please write this down. The word for comforter in the Bible is the word paraclete. The word paraclete. P-A-R-A-C-L-E-T-E. Paraclete. The word para means to come alongside of something. Okay? It's a good word. We talk about para ministries or paratransit. Paratransit means a transit, a transit uh, a group that comes alongside to help those who, who need assistance that may, for special needs and get, getting transportation somewhere. Paraministry para is a ministry that perhaps comes alongside of a local church and helps that ministry. Well, the paraclete is speaking about the Holy Spirit. It's a word that was given to him. And the King James translators in 1611 chose the word comforter to, to help us understand it. It means someone who comes right there. That's your side when you need them the most. Is someone who does not leave you. Is someone who's there close to you. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to tell you this morning, the Holy Spirit is not a thing. He's not, he's not a force. He is a person. He's the third person of the Godhead. He is the Holy Spirit of God. A.W. Tozer said this, the Holy Spirit is a person. He is not our enthusiasm. He is not our courage. He is not energy. He would not be a Star Wars force. Amen to that. Amen. He is not the personification of all good qualities like Jack Frost and the personification of cold weather. Actually, the Holy Spirit is not the personification of anything. He has individuality. He is the one being and he is one being and not another. He has will and intelligence. He has hearing. He has knowledge. He has sympathy. His ability to love, to see and to think. He can hear. He can speak. He can desire. He can be grieved. He can be quenched. He can rejoice. He is a person. This morning, let us see the comforter has come. Every believer here today, you must realize, living inside you is the Holy Spirit of God. He's made his residence in your life. The comforters come. Number one, I want you to see the Holy Spirit and His character. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. When you have a moment, take your Bible in John chapter 14, John chapter 15, John chapter 16. You want to underline or highlight everything Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit was evident and working in the Old Testament, but not like He is now in the New Testament. It was very evident about who the Spirit was. In fact, Nehemiah prayed that, this, that God's Spirit would teach the people the, the things of God. I mean, we find things like that about Him. But in the New Testament, we find that He makes for every one of us who trust in Him as Savior, Jesus Christ is Savior. He makes His permanent abode in us. Now let us see some things about the character of the Holy Spirit. In verse 16, if you're there, say amen if you're there. Notice in verse 16 of chapter 14, He's called the Comforter or the Paraclete. In verse 17, He's called the Spirit of Truth. He reveals God's Word to us as truth and giving us understanding. In verse 26, He's called the Holy Ghost and the Comforter that God has sent in His name. In chapter 15, verse 26, He's again called the Comforter and the Spirit. 
spirit of truth. In chapter 16, verse 17, again, he's called the comforter. Now, why did Jesus repeat the word comfort over and over again? Because, you know, when you have anxiety, when you're discouraged, when you're down, you need to be comforted over and over again. You need to be reminded over and over again. May I say today, this we consider the Holy Spirit and his ministry. He comes right next to you and me. He comes along with us. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't leave us. He's with us through thick and thin. He's with us in difficulties and anxieties. He's there when you need him the most. He's there because he's your comforter. He's there for you. And then notice in verse 13 of chapter 16, he's the spirit of truth. Now we must be clear up front. The Holy Spirit is God. Okay? He's not separate from God. He is God. Hey, amen. Say amen to that. He is God. Okay? Now, he's God, in, he's God just like Jesus is God and the Father is God. Look at 1 John 5, 7 with me, please. 1 John 5, 7. And it, it'd be good for you to open your Bible and underline that. And it'd be good for you to circle that in your notes. Okay? And I'm going to tell you why. In 1 John 5, 7, we have one of several verses of Scripture that give a very clear indication of Scripture that the Holy Spirit is a member of the Godhead. He's one of the three persons of the the Godhead or the Trinity. Notice 1 John 5, 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, it's important for us to understand that the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, and God are all one. Now, why did I say underline this first? Because if you don't have a King James Version, most of the modern day versions have omitted this verse because they, they used it in a, a, different, a different manuscript that had some, well, I would just say would have some challenges in it, and they footnote first John 5, 7. Well, I'll be personal to tell you this. Whenever you take something important that has a cardinal doctor scripture and you footnote it, someone's trying to attack the word of God, okay? You have to understand the devil's ploy is to attack God's word. As early on as in Genesis chapter 3, the devil was attacking God's word. Adam and Eve were in this place of innocence. They, were, they had no sin in them. And the devil came along slithering away as a serpent. And the first thing he said, yea, has God said. That's why we need to understand the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. The devil wants to put doubts in your heart and mind about the Word of God. He'll say, yea, has God said. And ever, listen, when people come to you and do the same thing, they want to quote you somebody's book. Can I tell you, every book that's written here in this world is a fallible piece of material. The only book that's infallible is the Holy Word of God. Because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished in all good works. The Bible says that God is given us a more sure word of prophecy. The Bible says that holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit. So when someone else wants to contradict something the Bible says or something the preacher says is from the word of God, you always have to ask this question, where did they get that from? If it's not from the Bible, you need to question it and mark that, that as being something that's disorderly according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And so we look at here, 1 John 5, 7, it's very adamant in telling us that the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. Now it's the third member of the Godhead. He is everywhere. As the third member of the Godhead, he is all-powerful. As the third member of the Godhead, he knows all things. There's nothing he doesn't know. He is co-eternal with God. He is co-existent with God. He's co-essential with God. You cannot, you cannot live your Christian life without the Holy Spirit. You cannot go on without him. You need the Holy Spirit. Listen, he's the best friend you've got right now. Amen? You say, well, I thought my husband or my wife were my best friend. Well, they're close to that. Amen? 
but not as close as the Holy Spirit because he lives inside of you. Okay, as the Holy, as God, he is holy. As God, he is powerful. As God, as I said, he is active with the Father and the Son working in us. Let us notice this morning as we consider the character of the Holy Spirit, let us notice some areas, some critical areas of the Bible where the Holy Spirit was present with God the Father and God the Son and working in our lives. Notice, first of all, in the matter of creation. Now, creation is God being involved with all things. God, God made something out of nothing. And notice in Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, we read this. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, the word God, or Elohim, incorporates all members of the, of the Godhead. and incorporates God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But it says God created the heavens and the earth. We read later on in John chapter 1, then the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the, words, and the Word was God. And it tells us later on, verse 3, that all things were made by Him. And so the, the Word is speaking about Jesus Christ. God the Father was involved in creation. God the Son was involved in creation. But notice in Genesis 1-2, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Job chapter 33, verse 4, are you there? Notice what he says, the Spirit of God, this is, this is one of Job's friends speaking, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty has given me life. May I tell you this morning, the Spirit of God is an act, was an active agent with God the Father and God the Son in the matter of creation. Then notice in the giving of the Word of God, as I quoted a little bit earlier, in the giving of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit is the active agent. The word pneuma talks about breath. We call the Holy, we, when we talk about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, we call it pneumatology. Pneumatology, okay? Breath. The Bible says about Adam in, in, in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, that God breathed life into Adam. The, the idea of breath is, the, is a matter of the Holy Spirit. And notice in 2 Peter 1.21, it says this, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit was the active agent, inspiring and embedding and implanting in the minds of those men exactly. Exactly what, what, what he wanted us to have. God gave them a word for word translation. Notice if you would the virgin birth. In Luke chapter 1 verse 35. The angel answered and said unto her. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And the power of the highest shall overshadow, we, overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee. Shall be called the son of God. Hey how did the virgin birth happen? The Holy Spirit was involved. The Holy Spirit touched the life and the body of that virgin. By the name of Mary. And she said how should this be? Seeing I know not a man. She said, she said to the angel. Gabriel, how can this happen? It, it, the only way a birth, a birth, a natural birth can happen is through a, a, a the the. Uh a relationship between a man and a woman. He says, don't worry about it, Mary. He says, that holy thing which shall be conceived of thee will be by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit brought about the virgin birth. And then notice in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 1.4, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Hey, we can thank God this morning that the Holy Spirit is not the, is not the, the, is the member of the God that's left out. He's as integral and as important as God the Son and God the Father. In fact, as we baptize, we notice that we baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. We baptize in the name of the Godhead. Look at Matthew 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost. Who has that authority? The Holy Ghost has given that authority to the local church. The local church has the authority for baptism. The local church vests that power into the pastor or other representatives who are ordained of the gospel to do that. We see over in Acts chapter 8 that Philip 
as he was in the wilderness, he had been given that authority by the church there that was over there in Samaria. And while he was in the wilderness there in, in the desert called Gaza, he met an Ethiopian man. He led that man to Christ. And there, there was a body of water deep enough to, to baptize that man in. And he baptized him, him in the authority of the, name, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'm just saying this morning, the character of the Holy Spirit, he's, he's God. He's altogether God. He's the third person of the Godhead. Now, let me just say this before we transition. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an inanimate force. He's a person. Now, he's invisible, and you cannot see him, but you know he's in your life. He's a person, and he's affected by you and me. You affect the Holy Spirit, and I affect the Holy Spirit. Did you know the Holy Spirit can be grieved? To grieve someone is to cause great heartache. He can be grieved by our actions, our unkindness, our envies, our jealousies, our bitterness, our anger, our wrath, malice. If we get to the place of clamor, we just speak out outrage. I mean, when, we have, when our spirit is not in check with God, our, if we have a bad spirit about us, we can affect and grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Hey, the spirit is grieved. The spirit can be quenched. You come down Wednesday nights. We've been in a series on First Thessalonians, and I'm thankful a good crowd's been coming on Wednesday nights, and we're kind of spending several weeks looking at, the, at the, what's called the quenching of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, quench not the spirit of God. Now, to quench something means to extinguish or put out the flame, to put out the fire. This is, this, is, this is fire season. You make a campfire, you better make sure that that fire is put out completely. You don't want any of those embers burning there. But listen, the Spirit, He must thrive in our hearts. The fire of the Spirit of God must burn in our hearts. The Bible says where there's no wood, the fire goeth out. And we must understand today that it's very possible for you and I to quench the Spirit. You know, if you say things, if you don't say the right thing, you can quench the Spirit. If you're not thankful, you can quench the Spirit. If you don't have a spirit of rejoicing, you can quench your spirit. If you're not praying without seizing, you can quench your spirit. If you despise the prophecies, the word of God, you can quench your spirit. You say, Pastor Fong, where did you get all that from? First Thessalonians chapter 5. Because it lists a number of things that can happen in our life that can quench the Spirit of God. Hey, right now, if you're talking when you should be listening, if you're, if you're, if you're distracted by something else, you're texting right now when you should be listening to the word of God, you're quenching the Holy Spirit of God. That's what happens, okay? And the Spirit is very sensitive. He's very tender. You know, some of all of us have friends or maybe a family member whose Spirit is very tender. And you know that if you don't, if you don't say the right thing at the right time or if you say it too harshly, they can be affected very, very, they can be hurt. And their Spirit's very tender. Many of us in this room have a very tender heart about things. And the Holy Spirit's the same way. Though He's God, He's a holy God. And because He's a holy God, He's affected by our attitude, by our temperament, by our words, by our spirit. Listen, gentlemen, today, if you hurt your children by saying the wrong thing or you hurt your wife or you, uh, by saying the wrong, or ladies, you hurt your husband by saying something the wrong thing. And if, if we're not very careful, we're also injuring the Holy Spirit of God. He can be grieved. He, be, can, he can be quenched. He, we read later on in, in Acts chapter 5, he can be lied to. And that's a whole different subject there, but that I mean Peter came to Ananias and Sapphira. He said, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit of God? And we have to understand when we, we deny the Spirit's work and we're lying to the Spirit. And that's a, the worst thing to do. It's bad enough to lie to people, but to lie to God, that's very bad. And then notice the Bible says, not only can be lied to, not only be grieved, not only can be quenched, he can be resisted. Now, He's all-powerful God. Please understand that this morning. He's all-powerful God, and He reproves and He convicts. But you have a free will. 
And with your free will, you can resist the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says that Stephen was preaching, and he had, a, he had a captive audience in Acts chapter 7. One of the great sermons of the Bible is recording the Word of God. And so he was culminating that message, and he preached about the Old Testament and brought it to Jesus Christ. He looked at those Jews, he saw their faces hardening. In fact, he described it this way. They were gnashing on him with their teeth. They were grinding their teeth, and they became very angry. And he said this, and I imagine he pointed a Baptist finger at them. He said, ye do always resist the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit knows you're giving him push back. And he knows when you're saying, not today, Holy Spirit, not today. And God knows when, when God, and listen, when we resist the Holy Spirit of God, it grieves him and it hurts him. We see the character of the Holy Spirit. But you notice the second thing. Would you notice the castle of the Holy Spirit? Notice verses 16 to 17, please. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Would you underline that phrase? Abide with you forever. My castle, I'm talking about the residency of the Holy Spirit. He said in verse 17, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth them not, neither know them. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. You want to underline that last phrase? He dwells in you. He abides in you. He lives in you. Listen, look up here, brother and sister in Christ. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. It's God's tabernacle. He lives inside of you. You better figure it out right now. His residency is inside of you. He took ownership of you. He lives in you. He abides with you. He dwells in you. He lives in you. You are not your own. You're bought with a prize. You belong to God. And we must understand this morning that when he took up residency, you see, in America, we have this idea, well, if salvation's free, then, then I could just do whatever I want, and I could take the free gift of God. No, it's not. Because salvation was not free. It cost Jesus Christ's blood. You were bought with the price. You've been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Hey, understand this. Sometimes we get a little bit emotional thinking about a Memorial Day or some special patriotic day, Veterans Day, of those men and women who sacrificed their lives and shed American blood on foreign soil for your freedom and mine. But listen, all of us as God's people should be very emotional and very, very caught up with the fact that God's Son, Jesus Christ, shed His blood for you and me. Eternal precious blood that was shed for you and me precious blood, incorruptible blood. He washed us in our own, he washed away our sins with his own blood. And so when I speak about the castle, I'm talking about the permanent abode of the Holy Spirit in you. He lives with you forever. You can't kick him out. You can't tell him, I'm raising the rent. It's too late. He owns you. Amen. You can't kick him out. He dwells and shall be in you. Look at Romans 8, 9, please. Romans 8, 9, here's what Paul said. You, for you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now, let's look up here. Quick question. Is the Spirit of God in you? Amen. If he's not in you, you're none of his. That's very sobering. That's very earth-shattering and eternity-shattering. Because if you're not truly saved, the Holy Spirit's not in you. And by your work shall we know. By your fruit shall we know. So he says it's very important that you understand that the Holy Spirit is abiding and living inside you. Notice Ephesians 1 verses 13 and 14. I love these verses and we teach this much in all of our discipleship classes. But Paul, is, he's writing about the wonderfulness and the magnificence and the riches of the blessings we have in salvation. Notice in verses 13 and 14 he said this, In whom you also trusted, that's in Jesus Christ, in whom you also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed. Now notice what he says there, after you believe, after you trusted, after you obeyed the word of God and trusted Christ as Savior, he says, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Now underline the word sealed. He put a marker on you. Invisibly, 
God declared its salvation. You belong to him. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Amen? Invisibly, the devil can't touch you. Invisibly, the devil can't take your soul. Why? You belong to him. Let's go a little bit further. We have the seal of the Holy Spirit. But verse 14, he speaks about the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Now underline that phrase, earnest of our inheritance. Now our inheritance is something you're going to receive in the future. Our inheritance is our future glory. That's heaven. Say amen. Okay? Are you happy about going to heaven? Amen? Jesus spoke about that earlier in John chapter 14. Our inheritance is going to heaven. It's an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away. Hey, it doesn't get old. It doesn't get obsolete. It's not going to get moldy. It's not going to get musty. It's not going to get dusty. It's as fresh as the day you got saved. Amen? An inheritance that's incorruptible. It's our future in heaven. And he says, but he says, the Holy Spirit which is in you is the earnest of that inheritance. Now, the word earnest, as you circle that, is an old English word. We don't use that often, but it's a good word. It's a financial word. Earnest means a down payment. Earnest is saying in good faith, God in good faith to our future inheritance that we're going to receive heaven. He had the Holy Spirit live inside of us as our down payment. I read the story about two, uh, two professors that were in a Bible college seminary setting. They were visiting the island of Greece together and they went there to just examine a lot of the things that went on during the time of, of, the, of the New Testament era. And they came across a store and they came to this, it was actually a jewelry store they were at. And they saw a sign on it, and the word, there was the word on the sign was the word Arabon. Now, the word earnest is the word Arabon. And they saw that, and one of the professors was a Greek professor, and he recognized the word Arabon from this word earnest. And he, they went in to talk to the jeweler, and they said, Sir, I saw the word Arabon here. What are you referring to? And the man chuckled, the, 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 Grecian, the Grecian jeweler chuckled, and he said, Oh, the word Arabon is talking about an engagement ring. This is an engagement. We call an engagement ring in the Greek language Arabon. And the Greek professor thought, What an interesting word to describe the earnest. You see, men, when you get engaged to a woman, you get engaged to that, that, that your, your, your future wife, you give her an engagement ring. That's a down payment on your future inheritance. Amen? That's a down payment saying, I'm true about my word. I just want to let you know my pledge for my love for you, and I want to marry you. We have some couples about ready to get married here. They're smiling right now. They're about to get married here in just a, a couple months here, and we've got some success, successive uh, weddings to be happy. But I remember when all of them gave their engagement ring, first thing they did was text me a picture to make sure it was real. Amen? And they sent me a picture to make sure it was real, and I said, I want to see the guy groveling on his knees, making sure he's asking you for permission, okay? And uh, But he gave her the engagement ring, and they all understood from marriage counseling that when they give the engagement ring, it's a down payment, or it's the earnest of, uh, of something future, okay? And so we recognize this morning that the, the, the Holy Spirit is, lives inside of us because he's the down payment, if you would, for something future. Look again at verse 14. Ephesians 1.14, which is the earnest of our inheritance uh, until, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Now the redemption of the purchased possession is when we receive glorification. When we put off this mortal becomes immortal. And this corruptible puts on incorruptible. And we have, we, have a, we have a body just like the Lord Jesus Christ there. I'm reminded of the story of a wealthy man who called his faithful assistant into his office. And he said, sir, you've, you've worked for me for many, many, many years. You've been really good at just serving. You've been faithful. And he says, I 
want to tell you something. He says, I've included you in my will. And the faithful assistant really didn't know what to say. He was kind of speechless there. He says, well, I wasn't expecting anything like that. And I'm very flattered you would do that, but I'm not worthy of that. He said, listen, let me finish. He said, I've included you in my will and you're going to receive this exorbitant amount of money in my will one day. And he said, he said but to help you have assurance that, that that's going to happen, I'm going to pay you interest on that amount of money every year. And so he told him that interest amount, which worked out about 6% interest on the amount he was putting aside for him. And, it, and every year that man would get, get to the same time every year, he would get this check, this interest check that reminded him that there, later in the future when this man would pass on, that he would receive this inheritance. That's what God's doing for you and me. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us to give us confidence, to strengthen our faith, and to help assure us today that we know heaven's our home and that Jesus is our Savior. But most importantly, we recognize and be sensitive to the fact the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. We ought to be sensitive to the fact He lives in us and He dwells in us. Listen, today we had a wonderful time in our congregational singing because the Spirit within us identified with each other. Some of us get together and we, we rejoice when somebody gets saved or gospel tracts get announced and our spirit rejoices with one another. At the same time, we recognize when there's a burden, our spirit is burdened for to bear the burdens of other people there. And so we must understand this morning, there's the castle of the Holy Spirit. And that castle is your life and my life. But notice thirdly this morning, we see the character of the Holy Spirit. We see the castle of the Holy Spirit. Would you write this down? We see the communication of the Holy Spirit. Now that's very important. We understand the, the Holy Spirit's ministry and communication. Notice verse 26, John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. Now that's very important there. The Holy Spirit was sent in the name of Jesus Christ by God the Father. Now, bear in mind, this is the working of the entire Godhead in our salvation and in our sanctification. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things. And bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now keep your finger there and go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Lord willing, I hope to get into a series preaching from 1 and 2 Corinthians very soon here. But in 1 and 2 Corinthians, he tells us something else about the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. Would you notice this please? Now, you have re now he says, now we have received not the spirit of the world. The spirit of the world is antichrist. The spirit of the world speaks of itself, not of Jesus Christ. The spirit of the world is covetous, not Jesus Christ. He says, now, you, you, now we, have we, we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit which is of God. That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Now, I like that word freely given because Peter uses that same phrase. I believe it's the word doriomai in the Greek that's found in 2 Peter 1. Freely given means no strings attached. There are many things God gives us as part of salvation. We need to claim those things, all right? Notice verse 13. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now, the Holy Spirit is your teacher. Now, let me give you a disclaimer. Now, because he's our teacher as we read the scriptures, some people incorrectly interpret that to mean, well, that means I don't need to come to church. I don't need a pastor. I don't need a Sunday school teacher. No, that's not what he's saying there, okay? What he's saying there, the Holy Spirit helps us as we open up the Word of God and we, we don't rush through the reading of it as, we, as we, we slowly 
and in a consecrated way read God's word. The Holy Spirit helps us to compare spiritual things with spiritual. He helps us to have understanding of the word of God. Now, when we open the word of God, we were just teaching this in one of our extension ministries the other night. We remind everyone this. We must pray and ask God to open his word up to us, okay? The Bible, the psalmist said this in Psalms 119. Open thou mine eyes, then I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. We are to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to open the word of God to us. Now, the Holy Spirit gives, is, the word of God is truth, and he's the spirit of truth. And as we, we, we look to the Holy Spirit, he gives understanding, okay? So when we, when we read a scripture, before you get frustrated with what you don't understand, and before you say, well, I'm not sure what to do, and before you even look at a commentary, or try to find out what somebody else says, read the chapter over and over again. Try to understand the main context of the entire chapter. Read it contextually. Read the Word of God to understand what's He saying. And pray for the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and enlightenment. Many times, yes, our preachers in the room, a lot of our preachers will come across a passage of Scripture, and, it, and they're one of the more difficult passages to try to explain or to understand. And we will we'll tell you yeah, every time, we pray and ask God, help me, Holy Spirit, to understand what your Word is saying. Help me to have a correct interpretation. And so that we interpret the Word of God with the Word of God, not with other men say. And we look at what the Word of God says in itself. And as we look at the Word of God, the old and the new, and the new with the new, and the old with the old, we put it all together, and the Holy Spirit brings enlightenment to us. He enlightens our mind. He helps us to understand things. Now listen tonight, this morning. Our lack of understanding, our lack of discernment, our lack of growth can be traced to the fact that we are not listening to the Holy Spirit of God. We must listen. We must let Him speak to us. That's why when we think about the Word of God, we read the Word, we study the Word, we memorize the Word. I just heard one of our classes I just taught in this morning. Several people got up. They're memorizing the Ten Commandments. And I was just rejoicing how many of them took on the, 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 the uh, responsibility of memorizing the Ten Commandments, okay? But we must also meditate on the Word. And meditating on the Word means we read it, and we think about it, and we think about it, and let the Holy Spirit work on us. Now, many, many of our people do this. If you're not doing it, I encourage you to do this. Some, some of our people, what they do, my wife does this, and it works very well for her. In addition to reading the Word of God, they'll, they'll, get, a, uh, they'll get the Word of God and listen to the Word of God in, in the King James translation. So while they're reading it, they're listening to it. Listen, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And as we listen to it and read it, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. My wife and I are on the way into church many, many times. As we come to church, I'll, I'll, I'll take, the, I'll take uh, the, the, one of the Bible uh, programs there. And I'll, and I'll click on, and I'll have the, I'll listen to, we'll listen to the scriptures being read while we're in the car. We just want to be quiet and listen to it. And this morning I chose First John, and God gave me some sermon fodder, and God put, well, burned, a, burned a fire in my heart of some verses I've read many, many times, and I've got some, some ideas on some preaching paths I want to go in the, in the near future there. And as God was working on that in my heart, I said, Holy Spirit, teach me. And I just, I got out of the car, I was just excited about what I was listening to this morning. And listen, we need the Holy Spirit to teach us every day. We need to approach the Word of God with a teachable spirit and a teachable heart. We need to say, Holy Spirit, please teach me. Listen, you say, well, Pastor Fong, I've not been to Bible college. Listen, you don't have to go to Bible college for the Holy Spirit to teach you. And listen, you say, well, Pastor Fong, I need to go, I need to go through these classes. Listen, you can read the Word of God, and as you read it, you compare spiritual with spiritual, Scripture with Scripture, and the Holy Spirit will bring all things to remembrance. Pay attention to words that are used many, many times. Uh, a lot of us like to preach series from different phrases that are used. For instance, there's a phrase in the Bible, so great salvation, or the word two words, so great. And I've got a four to six point series I'm going to preach or teach soon about using the word so great. It talks about so great salvation, so great sinners, okay? It talks about so great a congregation, okay? We look at these things, there's some great teaching uh, information there. Or sometimes, uh, uh, you know, I, I, have, uh, I was sharing with the, the staff the other day about Zephaniah 3.17. It says, the Lord thy God is in the midst of thee. And I thought about every time where the word of God says, in the midst of thee. 
You know, we can take certain words or the word steadfast. You know, I've got a series I might do on 50 Bible words that are life-changing. And I think about the word steadfast. That's a life-changing word. I think about the word stir. It's a life-changing word. And those words, you can take those words and realize, maybe I need to get a concordance and do a word study there and let the Holy Spirit work in your heart. Listen, Jeremiah got to the place where he was so discouraged. He wanted to quit the ministry. He wanted to stop preaching. But listen, he couldn't get away from the word of God. And the Holy Spirit was using God's word to speak to him. And he said this, his word was in my heart like a burning fire. Now, when it's like that and your heart gets like that, that means the Holy Spirit of God is working in you. I read the story many years ago how before we had refrigeration. How many are glad for refrigeration? Amen? Some of you don't remember. I remember this. My grandmother, they were just coming out of that back in the 50s. And uh, just remember this. But there used to be, they used to have these old ice houses. They didn't have refrigeration those days. And what people used to do, especially in the upper lake areas where it would freeze over during winter, they would go out to an area where the water froze over like one of the lakes. And they would cut out the, uh, carefully cut out the ice, blocks of ice. And they would put it in this room. And they basically would, would put in this room and they would serve as ice houses. And all this icing in there together would make it a very, kind of like a frozen room. And to prevent people from slipping and getting hurt, they would throw sawdust on the ground so people could walk in there. I remember those days just as they were coming out of that, that some people still used ice houses in those days because they couldn't, they couldn't afford refrigeration. Well, back in the days of these ice houses, there were some men working there. They're putting their ice up and so forth like that and getting it there. And of course, they were putting on their coats and things because it was very cold in there. And one of the men took off his, his watch. He had an elastic wristband and he took his watch and put it down. But then as they finished, he couldn't find his watch and he got very frustrated. And he and the other worker were trying to find his watch and he looked for about, I don't I don't know, probably 30, 40, 45 minutes, and they got frustrated, and they just kind of walked out, said, well, let's just get, give it a break there, and a little boy happened to be standing around there just listening to what's going on. It was the son of one of the workers, and he heard this man had lost his watch. The little boy just kind of just, just kind of crept in behind those men, walked inside the eye house, and he, lay, he lay, laid himself down on the sawdust. Now, I don't know why he would do that, because it would be very cold, but he laid down on the sawdust, and after a period of time, he came out, and he was holding the man's watch. And the man, of course, was excited that, that this watch was found. And he said, son, I, me and my friend looked all over there for that watch. How'd you find it? And the little boy says, well, sir, I heard you lost your watch. And I thought I just would go in. And he said, I decided to lie down and lie very silently. And as I lied very silently, I listened very carefully for the sound of your watch. As things became very quiet and things were very silent, I could finally hear your watch ticking. And that's what God wants you, to, you and I to do. For the Holy Spirit to teach, to be our teacher, we need to be very silent. That's why the Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. Amen? We need to be very silent. And we need to be under such a, just to be very quiet. And we, we, we just got to put everything else away. Disconnect ourselves from everything that's a distraction. And listen to the Holy Spirit of God. Hey, can I ask you a question this morning? Is the Holy Spirit your teacher today? Are you letting him teach you? Are you lying very silent so he can work in your heart? Are you listening to the Spirit's words? Are you listening to what the Spirit says? Listen to what 1 John 2.27 said. But the anointing which you have received in him abideth in you. And you need not that any man teach you. Now that's not saying you don't need teachers. He's just saying it's important for us to rely on the Holy Spirit to give clarity. Even right now, we may be looking at verses and even on this doctrine that perhaps has clarified some things for many of you. Now, how did that happen? It wasn't Pastor Fong. It was the Holy Spirit of God who has helped you understand that. And so he's helped us understand from 1 John 2, 27. But the anointing which you received in him abideth in you. And you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing. And the anointing means the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Teaches you all things and is truth and is no lie. And even as is taught you, ye shall abide in him. Now, when the Spirit's teaching you, let me tell you some evidences of that. Could you write this down? When you, how do you know the Spirit of God's teaching? Write this down, please. Number one, you will be able to discern between truth and error. You'll know truth from untruth. 
You'll know that, okay? Number two, he will move in your conscience and reprove you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. When he pricks your heart, that's the Holy Spirit. Number three, your spirit will agree with him. Your spirit will agree with the spirit of your pastor and your spirit of spiritual men in the church, okay? Number four, your eyes will be open. You'll say, wow, I didn't know that's what it meant. Number five, you will be moved to action. Now, how, how do we know the Holy Spirit's working? We're moved to action. We do something with what we've heard. He reproves us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Are you listening or are you resisting him? Acts 7, 51. Stephen said this, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did also. Now when the Holy Spirit speaks, He speaks in understandable terms. He doesn't make it complicated. He doesn't make it hard. If it gets complicated, it's the teacher's fault. It's not the Holy Spirit's fault, okay? I think about my early days trying to explain things like Daniel's 70-year prophecy and from Daniel chapter 9 and leaving people in a state of confusion when I was a young man. And I felt so bad I understood it, but I thought I didn't understand it well enough to teach it, well, to teach it to make it understandable. And now I realize when we teach and preach the Word of God, we've got to make it understandable for people to understand. Hey, the Bible says this about little Samuel. He did let none of the Word of God fall to the ground. You know what that's saying there? He understood enough of the Word of God. He seized hold of it, laid hold of it. He didn't drop it intentionally. He didn't let it go. And when the Holy Spirit teaches us, we need to grasp it and let Him work in our hearts. So this morning, we see the Holy Spirit in His character. We see the Holy Spirit in His castle. That's your, your life and my life. We see the Holy Spirit in His communication. But go back to John chapter 14. Would you do that please? And notice the Holy Spirit and His comforting. Now all of us need comfort. Amen? Amen. When you're grieving, you're hurting, you need comfort. When you're discouraged, you need comfort. I want to encourage you this morning. He's the comforter. He's come. Okay? He's here. He's come. He comes alongside. He's right there where you need him. Now, what does it mean he's a comforter? Number one, he's faithful. Number one, he's faithful as our comforter. He's never going to hurt you. He's never going to mislead you. He's always there. I might not be there all the time for you, and somebody else may not be there all the time for you, but the Holy Spirit is always there for you. He's faithful. Number two, he's friendly. He's friendly. That's what the word paraclete means. He's, he's there next to you when you need him. He's friendly. Hey, number three, he's fortifying. He gives you and me hope. There's a painter. His name was Byam Shaw. In a painting he did was entitled The Comforter. It appeared in a place called the Academy in 1897. And in this room, as a, you can imagine, so your mind is a bed. And, we're in, and in, the, in the bed is a person who's very, very sick. You can't see their face. It's kind of a darkened shadow. And you see the left hand of this person out. It's a woman. It's the wife of a man. She has a beautiful gown on. There's lace around the sleeve. Her hand is out on her lap. And her husband is holding her lap. The husband is sitting right next to her in a chair. He's got his head on one side of the bed, on his, hand, his head on his hand like this. Not out of laziness or, or, or anything like that, but he's just overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed with hurt. He's grieving. Her life is ebbing away from her. He's going through a very difficult moment. And he's feeling like he needs something very special at that time. And they're looking at each other, and she, can't, she really cannot communicate in words. And it's very difficult for her to breathe. And right next to him in this painting is a figure, an individual in white linen who happens to represent our Lord. 
And the Lord is right next to this man, not just sitting behind him, but right next to this man, standing over him with both hands on his shoulders and in a way of just encouraging him and saying, I know it's tough, but I'm here for you. I know it's tough, but I'm here for you. And that's what the Holy Spirit is, that when it's tough, He's there for us. But when it's not tough, He's still there for us. And when we have the joy of the Spirit, He's there for us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's there to help us. He's there to encourage us. He's the member of the Godhead that assures us over and over again that God is working. Hey, He's our teacher. He helps us know, uh, to learn and to understand during difficult times, there's a lesson God wants us to get from it. Let me tell you this morning. Every trial, every difficulty, every hardship we have, there's always a lesson in it for us. And we must ask God, Lord, what is it you want? want me to learn. In James chapter 1, it teaches us when we have a trial, we must pray and ask God for wisdom that we might understand what is it we're supposed to learn in that situation. As our comforter, he reminds us that we are not alone. And as our comforter, he enables us to continue even when we don't feel like going on. And you know, a lot of times when we, we feel very discouraged, we want to withdraw, we want to pull away. And it's the Holy Spirit of God who says, no, don't pull away, don't withdraw. I want you to stay where you're at and let me work in your heart. He calms our fears and he quiets our hearts. And by Bible college student was writing a term paper and it was about the confession of our sins. And he's writing this paper and he, he, made, he was writing this but, but he was typing it. And he kind of types like me because he's not very careful how he types. He's probably a, a pecker like this. You know, I'm a pecker typer. You know? And so he, he wrote this down and he said this, when we confess our sins, he, he, meant to, he meant to write this, when we confess our sins, he takes away our guilt. But because he was a bad typer, he was trying to use all his fingers there, okay, he pressed the letter Q instead of the letter G. And so what he wrote, what wound up being typed on his papers, when we confess our sins, he takes away our quilt. You know what a quilt is, right? It's like a blanket or a comforter, okay? So he meant to say, when we confess our sins, he takes away our guilt. But instead, he typed out, when, he, when we confess our sins, he takes away our quilt. Well, the professor got all these papers that got turned in, and he read that, and he chuckled. He knew it was a typo, and the professor wrote on that paper, he says, Never fear, little one. You'll never freeze because God gave us a comforter. And I say that to you to remind you today, the, 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 uh, the, the professor wanted to be an encouragement to this, this, this Bible college student that even though he made a typo, he said, Well, there's some good theology there because the Holy Spirit is there for you. Can I tell you today, a lot of times when we have sin, there will be guilt. But God takes away that guilt, but he also covers us with his love. And that cover, if you would, is the comforter who comforts us with our love. Aren't you glad about the Holy Spirit this morning? Amen? We have to see the Holy Spirit in his character. We see the Holy Spirit in his communication. We see the Holy Spirit in his castle. We see the Holy Spirit in his comfort. And as we close this morning, would you notice it's the Holy Spirit who does the converting. Would you go with me to John chapter 16 again, verses 8 and 11. John chapter 16. And we've been quoting these verses, but I'm going to read them to you, then we're almost done. Now, the Holy Spirit is the active agent of the Godhead involved with the conversion of a sinner from his sins. This morning, if you're not 100% sure you're saved, you're not sure you're going to heaven, this message is designed so that the Holy Spirit could preach to teach you and speak to your heart to create some discomfort inside of you that you would understand it's important that you get saved today. Because the Bible says, Behold, now is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the acceptable time. And if you feel a little bit stirring or you're uncertain about whether you're saved or not, the Holy Spirit wants you to know you can be saved. So watch his ministry here as we read John chapter 16. And when he has come, and by the way, he has come, amen? When he has come, he will reprove the world of sin 
righteousness, and of judgment. Now, reprove is a very strong word. It means he will rebuke us. It means he corrects us. It means he warns us. It means it's kind of like a punch in the gut. He's saying, I'm going to hit you in the gut so you can understand today that you, that you need to make some correction. Now, what's he doing there? Well, in verse 9, he reproves us of sin because of unbelief, because they believe not on me. If you've never put your faith and trust exclusively in Jesus Christ as Savior and repent of your sins, you need to do that today. The Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, your conscience, to believe on Him, on Jesus Christ only to be your Savior and to repent of your sins. Then He said in verse 10, He reproves us of righteousness because Jesus said, I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Now, what Jesus meant by that, while He was around those disciples, they watched what they were doing. They were careful what they said. They were careful how they lived. You know how it is. Sometimes you get around somebody that you know is close to God and you're very careful. You want to put on, a, you want to put on your best face and you want to look really good. But outside of that, people know who you really are. They think, man, what are, man, you're like a night and day between your character there. And Jesus is saying here, look, it, I'm going to go to the Father and the Holy Spirit's going to reprove you righteous because I'm not here. It's going to be easier for you to slip off into sin. And it's going to be easier for you to backslide. It's easier for you to deny the doctrines of Scripture. And he says, so the Holy Spirit has to keep on working through the preaching of God's Word and the reading of God's Word. He's going to reprove you of righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? Righteousness is character just like God. God wants us to be righteous. But listen, righteousness comes, first of all, by faith alone in Jesus Christ. You have no righteousness in yourself that can save you. The Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. And so we must understand, the Holy Spirit reproves us of our need for being righteous. And then verse 11, he says, he reproves us of judgment because of the prince of this world is judged. Now the prince of this world is Satan. And the Holy Spirit helps us to understand that Satan's already, he's already been judged. Satan's going to spend all of eternity in hell. He's going to spend all of eternity in that lake of fire. He's not there now. He's the God of this world. But one day, God's going to open up the, 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 the lake of fire and send him there. And he's going to be remaining there forever, forever, forever. But listen, this morning, the lake of fire is also going to be the place for every person who has never repented of their sins and called on Jesus Christ to be their Savior. Those people will spend eternity in that place forever and forever and forever. And that could be you this morning if you've never called on Jesus Christ to be your Savior park ranger at Yellowstone Park led a group of hikers to a fire lookout. And this was a good ranger. He knew his biology very well. He knew his botany very well. He knew, his, he knew everything about trees and all that. And, and he just, he was just, and he was a good teacher. And he's leading this group through Yellowstone National Park and this group there and he's just explaining everything about nature, things you and I probably would never know about or even know where to start to learn about these things. He explained about the seasons and the skies and the climate and the dirt and the soil and the trees and the birds and all those things. And, and uh, you know, he wore a radio because he had to keep in contact with headquarters. And, but, you know, the crackling noise of the radio and people talking, was, he just felt it was a kind of a distraction so he turned it off. Now, that's against, that was against Ranger rules. You're not supposed to turn that off because sometimes if a, there's a fire or danger, you're, you're supposed to keep that on. But he just turned it off. He thought, let's just be for a moment. There'll be nothing happening there. And um, he'd been going on like this for about 15, 20 minutes. And someone from a lookout came, made their way down. And they were, they were, they were running to him. And this guy, this, the guy from the lookout was, was just out of breath. And he made it to him. He says, hey, didn't you get our message? He said, no, I turned off the radio. He said, well, that's what we figured. He says, listen, I came all the way down to let you know. There's, we, we spotted a grizzly bear has been, been uh, pro watching you guys from behind. And he's tracking your every movement. We've got 
got to get you guys out of here as quickly as possible. And listen, the Holy Spirit's like that. The Holy Spirit's like that man that came down from the lookout. He realizes we might be in danger. He realizes that there's something looming around the corner that we don't know about, but the Holy Spirit knows because he's God. And it's the Holy Spirit that speaks to our conscience, speaks to our heart, and reminds us today that we, need, we must avoid hellfire, that we must be saved. You're not saved to get saved. And as a Christian, and perhaps you've been wandered away, you're a little bit farther from God than you need to be, then the Holy Spirit of God is encouraging us. He comes alongside you as a comforter to come alongside of God, to get closer to God, to walk near to God, and realize God is not going to push you away. God doesn't shun you. God accepts you just the way you are. He takes you, and He wants you to get back close to Him. Amen? That's what He wants to do in your life. So I close this morning, reminded of a little boy who was saved at a revival meeting. And one of his friends asked him, well, you, get, you, what, you got saved, huh? And he said, did you see a vision? He said, not really. Did God speak to you in audible terms and in the English language? He says, well, not really. Well, how do you know you got saved? How do you know you got saved? And the little boy said this, it's like this. It's like when you catch a fish. You can't see the fish below the surface. You can't hear the fish. But he says, you can feel the fish tugging at that line because you've got the line out there. And this morning, it might be the Holy Spirit's tugging at the line of your heart. He's tugging at your heart. Obey every spiritual impulse. Never decline the Holy Spirit. If He's speaking to your heart, you need to obey Him. Why? Because if you're not obeying Him, you're resisting Him. And Stephen said, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. And if you resist Him, you're putting out the fire. You could be precluding yourself from God doing a great work in your heart. You say, well, it's embarrassing to respond to the invitation. It's not embarrassing. It's, wor it's worse to stand before God and live the same way and not have any change. We want the Holy Spirit to have His way. Listen, we're all a bunch of forgiven sinners in this room. Amen? We're on equal playing level, okay? We're all forgiven sinners. There ain't nobody here greater than somebody else or bigger than somebody else. There's no such thing as somebody here holier than somebody else. We're all forgiven sinners, okay? We're all the baseline of the cross. We come to the baseline of the cross because there's forgiveness, there's love, there's acceptance, there's a new start that we have because of Jesus Christ today. But the question I need to ask you today, is he tugging at your heart? Are you hurting? Are you in need of comfort? Are you troubled? Are you anxious? Are you withdrawing? You are overcome with fears? Are you struggling with forgiveness? Are you struggling with guilt? Are you struggling with shame? Are you struggling with just living for God and having a fire for the Lord? Hey, listen, that, it should be yes to all the above. And when it's yes to all the blood, thank God we have the comforter. Jesus said, I will send you another comforter. That's the Holy Spirit. He's the paraclete who comes alongside of you and me. He's there when we need him most. He's there always at our side and he's there right now. He's the earnest of our inheritance. When you get saved, if you get saved this morning, he will be the down payment of your future inheritance today in heaven. And if you're already saved, thank God that he's already indwelling in you and that earnest is part of your life. This morning, don't resist the Holy Spirit. He speaks to you. He's secure for troubled hearts.